let's continue. The Old Testament saints, as we're learning now, were not really, quote-unquote, saved by a different system than the one in which we rely on today. I've actually heard this purported at some churches. If you ask your average um, churchgoer, and again, I'm not trying to pick on Christians unnecessarily, but rather, since we're doing studies that involve New Testament topics, then church folk, or Christians, as it were, are the natural target of my studies. Because, as it were, I don't find a lot of New Testament studies taking place in synagogue circles or at yeshivas, or this type of talk is just simply not discussed among Jewish people. So, Christians end up being the target of my studies as I do these um commentaries, but I'm, I want you to know that I'm not trying to pick on Christians. I, I, I am a Christian myself. But at any rate, I've heard people purport that the Old Testament saints were actually saved by keeping the feasts, or the Old Testament saints were saved by doing the sacrifices, or the Old Testament saints were saved by keeping the commandments. People, what kind of nonsense is that? We need to remember that when Yeshua said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through me, that he was referring to all men. In fact, the book of Revelation tells us that he is the, set, he is the Lamb of God slain from when? From the foundation of the world. That's right. So salvation has always and only been offered through him. If we are to believe that the Old Testament saints were somehow saved in a different manner in which we were, then what we're really suggesting is that there are two separate ways unto um, righteousness, or two separate ways unto um, salvation, which is a theory we know cannot be true based on the statement that Yeshua just gave us. So, what we need to remind ourselves is this. The sacrifices performed with a genuine heart of repentance afforded real-life forgiveness, but only to the purification of the flesh. However, the temporal blood of the animals in and of themselves and by themselves could not even take away sin. They could... um, they could perform a washing, as it were, on the outside, but, but that still required a measure of faith. Only the eternal blood of the perfect sacrifice, to which the animals pointed, of course, could purify both flesh and soul. That's the important point that we need to remind ourselves. The people in the Old Testament were not saved by bringing the sacrifices. God's altar worked, people. It really worked. It did not cleanse the conscience, but it certainly cleansed the flesh. So what we're trying to make a point of in my study is that the objective objective faith of the individual still remain dependent upon God's promised word to come, namely Yeshua himself. Yet his obedience, the obedience of the individual, was demonstrated by adherence to explicit Torah commands where sacrifices were concerned. It's just the same as it is today. Our faith is vindicated by our obedience. Yes, that's exactly what James teaches us in the book of James. Faith is vindicated by works. What's more, the salvation of the eternal soul of an individual was always, both then and now, dependent upon a circumcised heart. Okay, and with that, we'll draw um, some conclusions to my commentary. So we are now... uh, near the top of page 5, if you're following along with the written notes. Let's start off with the section entitled, Conclusions. In summary, then, the sacrificial system 
was not designed to bring the participant to the goal, namely a purged conscience and salvation of the individual. Sacrifices were for dealing with sin in the flesh. Only genuine faith in the promised one could move God's heart to reckon to one's account, quote, righteousness, end quote, as was done for Avraham. Remember we talked about Avraham in a previous study. God reckoned Avraham's account as righteous in Genesis chapter 15. And in that reckoning as righteousness, as it were, we're saying that Abraham was saved. He became a new creation in God. And really it's because Abraham caught a glimpse of the Messiah to come when he was looking at the stars and realizing that it was the Son of God. It was the the ultimate son of, of, of his offspring that would bring about um, the promises that God was speaking to him. The Torah that was given to Avraham and the Torah that was mediated through Moshe, the one that we have in our Bibles today, I'm going to say something that's going to sound rather strange to those of you listening who are Messianic, those of you who are um, Torah, um, how should I say, uh, Torah, uh, Torah mindful or Torah respectful. Um, this is going to sound rather strange, so let me state it, and then if I have to clarify it, I will. The Torah is weak. Yes, the Torah has a weakness. And the Torah's weakness is in that it cannot and could not, nor ever will, be able to bring to the goal of salvation the heart of an individual. That's right. The Torah cannot save a person. That's its weakness. Only the Spirit's supernatural work could and always will be able to do that very thing. Okay? So understand that as we study the Torah, the Torah is a tool, a carefully crafted tool in the hands of the Spirit of God Himself designed to bring about um, the awareness of sin, designed to provide forgiveness um, for sin, um, at least uh, according to the animal sacrifice, to provide a measure of, of uh, cleansing of the flesh, to point the individual towards the teacher of righteousness described in Galatians um, uh, chapter 4, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3. But the Torah itself is not the goal. The Torah is not the, um, the destination of the journey. You can think of an example of where we have uh, passengers who board a train uh, to go from point A to point B. The Torah is like the train, or in some ways it's like the tracks that guide the train down uh, the tracks. It's, it's, or it's like the uh, tracks that guide the train down the road or down the way, as it were, towards the destination. And the destination is the Messiah. The destination is um, right standing with God, or righteousness in God's eyes, both forensic as well as behavioral. And so the Torah is the tool that gets us to that point. But the Torah is not the... Um, uh, the final destination. There's only one path to positional righteousness. There's only one way to attain lasting and genuine salvation. In fact, in his Jewish New Testament commentary, David H. Stern, writing of the um, previously mentioned mistaken notion that there exists two paths to uh, forensic righteousness, he comments on Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, and this is a passage that is often quoted, especially verses 4 through 13, by opponents of the Torah who wish to prove their mistaken Premise. Let me read this quote from David Stern's commentary. Quote, the righteousness based on the Torah says one thing in verse 5. 
But in contrast, the righteousness based on faith says something else. Verses 6 through 8. Okay? That's where they launch, they who believe that there's two types of righteousness. This interpretation, like the one that makes verse 4 of chapter 10 speak of terminating the law, is anti-Semitic, even if today it's unintentionally so. David Stern goes on to say that it flows out of the Christian theology that mistakenly minimizes the importance of the Mosaic law. This, in turn, is the fruit of the church's effort during the 2nd through 6th centuries of the Common Era to eliminate, hide, or finesse the Jewishness of Christianity. And he, um, he makes a note that his readers should read uh, the, his Messianic Jewish Manifesto, chapter 3, especially pages 52 through 55. He goes on to conclude in this quote from his commentary that it is crucial, therefore, to insist that verses 6 through 8 of chapter 10 of Romans do not present the righteousness based on faith in Messiah Yeshua as different from the righteousness based on the Torah, but as the same, the same righteousness based on the same trust and leading to the same eternal life. End quote. And I lifted that quote from David Stern's commentary to Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 8, Jewish New Testament publications, pages 30, I'm sorry, pages 397 through 398. Um, he actually goes on to explain. Uh, in the same commentary, as I'm looking down in here at my at my own notes here, let me just read another p- quote from his uh, commentary here while I've got it open. Quote, Shaul quotes from the Torah in order to show that the righteousness grounded in trusting spoken about in verse 6 is exactly the same as, quote, the righteousness grounded in the Torah, end quote, as lifted from verse 5. He proves this by showing that the very trust implicit in the Torah quotation of verse 5, as explained in the notes from David Stern, is taught explicitly as well. The Torah itself commands the very trust Shaul is talking about. Trust in God and in his Messiah when he comes. David Stern goes on to um, say, quote, Thus, verses 6 through 8 sharpen the meaning of verse 5, which is then seen to imply that the person who practices, quote, the righteousness grounded in the Torah, end quote, of verse 5, will necessarily have the trust in Yeshua the Messiah that we proclaim, uh, mentioned in verse 8. That is, he will see that the Torah itself guides him toward the goal of trusting in the Messiah Yeshua. Uh, A quote from verse 4. Therefore, David Stern concludes, I have rendered it, or David Stern has rendered it, quote, moreover, instead of but. He renders it moreover in the Jewish New Testament, so that verses 6 through 8 add to the point already made in verse 5, instead of contrasting with it, end quote. Um, Again, my point is this. If you read Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 5 in your average English Bible, it says the righteousness described in the law says this, blah, 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 blah. But the righteousness which is of faith, starting in verse 5, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 4, and then starting with verse 5, it says, but the righteousness of faith um, says this, blah, blah, blah. And so um, I say blah, 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 I mean etc. I'm not trying to... um, minimize the word of God. In fact, let me turn there real quick. Romans chapter 10. Here we are. Yes, the um, turning point 
is in verse 6. So verses 1 through 5 of Romans chapter 10 in most English Bibles seems to describe righteousness A, if I could label it. And then when we get to verse 6, most English Bibles opt for the Greek word de and render it but. And in the but they say, but the righteousness of faith says, and then it goes on to describe faith in Jesus, giving us righteousness B. So we end up with two types of righteousness in the rendering of the translation in most English Bibles. Righteousness A is described in verses 1 through 4. Um, 5 of Romans chapter 10 and then righteousness B is described in verse 6 and following and in the competition of righteousness A and righteousness B righteousness A is seen as Torah righteousness which is seen somehow as temporal and righteousness B is seen as the um, faith in Jesus which is um, uh, described as permanent and of course any Christian reading those two choices would make a choice for righteousness B in my little example here but what David Stern is simply trying to say is that that's a misunderstanding of the passage there is no righteousness A and righteousness B there's only God's righteousness and the righteousness that's described by Paul in Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 6 and following is one and the same righteousness. Therefore, we get tripped up by one simple uh, simple Greek word, de, D-E, de, rendered but in most English translations, but should correctly be rendered moreover, or and, uh, something like that. So, back to my own commentary. If the question still remains, how did those folks in the Old Testament find salvation? Then I think it can be safely understood now that self-effort and lack of trust was not the way to their salvation. Rather, properly understood, the sacrifices of the Tanakh were meant to be performed out of the righteousness that is grounded in trusting the very same righteousness that is produced as a result of genuine trusting faithfulness in Hashem and in his Messiah, the very righteousness that we are to display today. Okay? That makes much more sense theologically. Now, we're going to be studying the Torah portions, um, the upcoming portions, and the sacrificial system. And we're going to elaborate on the animal sacrifices, especially in the book of Leviticus, uh, with the above understanding that I've just given you in mind. I just wanted to give us this primer, or to give us this, this foundational um, uh, beginning, so that as we move into the book of Leviticus, we won't have this misunderstanding. But for now, I want to close this portion with a summarizing quote from the book of Hebrews again, um, so that we can just... Uh, bring this study to a close on that same note, alright? Speaking of the arrangement mentioned in our current parasha, uh, the uh, sacrificial, or, I'm sorry, the, uh, the, the temple, I'm sorry, let's try that again, the mishkan, the mishkan, uh, the tabernacle. I say temple, but if you know, um, later Judaism, when, when the temple gets built uh, by Solomon and eventually Herod and such, it is in fact patterned after the tabernacle. So that's why I keep uh, making that slip and saying temple sometimes. But really, I mean the tabernacle. But what's interesting is, I'm going to make this quote from the um, from the book of Hebrews here in a moment. When the writer of Hebrews penned his book or his letter, the temple was standing. And yet, if the careful Bible student will go back and notice, he uses tabernacle language doesn't he? He uses the word tabernacle. So, let's pull this quote from the book of Hebrews, and that will draw my study to a close, alright? 
quote, by this arrangement, speaking of um, the tabernacle service, by this arrangement, the Ruach HaKodesh showed that so long as the first tent had standing, the way into the holiest place was still closed. This symbolizes the present age and indicates that the conscience of the person performing the service cannot be brought to the goal by the gifts and the sacrifices he offers. For they involve only food and drink and various ceremonial washings, regulations concerning the outward life, imposed until the time for God to reshape the whole structure. But when the Messiah appeared as Kohen Gadol, that is high priest, of the good things that are happening already, then through the greater and more perfect tent, which is not man-made, that is, it is not of this created world, he entered the holiest place once and for all. And he entered not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus setting people free forever. End quote. That was lifted from the... Uh, a book of Hebrews named Messianic Jews in David Stern's version, chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. And that concludes our study for this week. The closing blessing is as follows. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu torat emet v'chaye olam natah batochinu Baruch atah Adonai noten haTorah. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You have given us your Torah of truth and have planted everlasting life within our midst. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember, because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua, through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song was produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at Yeshua613 at Hotmail.com That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at Hotmail.com Or visit our website at GraftedIn.com That's GraftedIn.com